Stop punishing yourself with bland, chalky protein shakes and fuel your fitness with the best protein in the game at GNC. We've got the hottest brands and flavors that legit taste like cookies, your favorite cereal, indulgent desserts, and more. It's on at GNC. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina, and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music, and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie, and Wrightsville, and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. Harrison Price for Tuesday, December 19th, 2023. Coming to you from the GoGo Sports Studio, built by Arbor Lee here at the iconic Wall Center, downtown Vancouver, where you can embrace the energy with a stay at the wall. Call 604-331-1000. Massacres alongside Blake Price, Grace Asset and Switches, conducting things in this show, a presentation of Applewood Auto Group. Applewood Nissan in Surrey has your car for British Columbia. How about the Rogue and Qashqai? Two mainstays in the Nissan line. Both keep you glued to the road and with finance rates that you can handle 3.99% on the Rogue, 4.49% on the Qashqai. Zip around Vancouver and British Columbia in your brand new Nissan from Applewood Nissan. It's all good at Applewood. Poll question today. Have you seen enough from Nikita Zadorov to sign him long term? You can vote yes or no at Sakarison Price on Twitter and YouTube. I voted yes, Blake, and not necessarily because what I've seen from him in eight games makes him indispensable or anything like that. But he's a unique profile of a defenseman being that big with mobility and some puck skills. And when I look at the Canucks' defensive depth chart going forward, they're effectively in a position like they were this past summer, and that is the need to add a couple of top five guys. We know your sixth defenseman in today's day and age in a capped world is likely going to be a rotating cast or a, you know, a, a minimum salary type of player. But when you take a look at the Canucks' defensive depth chart, okay, they're going to re-sign Philip Ronick at uh, pretty significant money, I would suspect. You've got Hughes under contract, and you've got Carson Soucy under contract. But Ian Cole's a free agent. Tyler Myers is a free agent. Uh, Mark Friedman, if you're so inclined, is a free agent. You've got Juleson there. He'll probably be the sixth guy. But with with Zadorov, Myers, and Cole all as free agents, I think it would behoove you to get to some of that business in season here if you can. And the guy I would pick of the three is Zadorov. So, yeah, I voted yes. Now, I'm sure he's going to ask for a lot. Milstein was tweeting uh, money signs last week. (laughs) Um. But I would rather start that negotiation and get clarity before July 1st. Because even if you can't come to a deal, at least that helps you out in advance to be able to target or maybe even prior to the deadline to make another move for a defenseman with term. I I, I think you want to use a little bit of time. You got time, use it. Um, mm-hmm. He certainly is trending in the right direction for a guy that you want. Now, whether or not the demands are 
extravagant. Don't know that yet. But I, I, I want to see him under some higher pressure situations. And I think come the end yep. of January, early February, we're going to see the Canucks in those higher pressure situations. And I want to see exactly what this guy's medal is Wh- made Why of. do you think there be higher pressure situations in January? Uh, well, teams closer to the trade deadline are going to be trying to prove that they're in it or out of it, I think. Okay. Uh, you know, and, and once you're past, once you're into the 50s and 60s in the game schedule, um, I mean, the sphincter tightens a yeah. little bit, and, and you want to see what he looks like. I, I just wonder because, I, you know, so long as the Canucks don't, you know, go on a long losing streak here or lose a star player for injury to long term, you know, I, I do see a world where you could potentially be coasting through a good part of the second half. A lot of people don't know what the other teams are, though. Uh, the Canucks' strength of schedule has not been difficult to this point. And we don't yet know what to make of the other teams around the league. So there's several curious cases. So come the 50-game mark, you know who you're facing and what they are, I think. Mm-hmm. And then you get to see, okay, what is this team? Is this team an actual playoff team? Well, come the 50-game mark, I think you kind of get to know. Like, yeah, that probably is a close – that's a playoff team. Yeah. What do we look like against that team? Right now, it's difficult to know what you're facing. So you voted no. I, I'm voting no. You don't need to do it right now. Grady, break the tie. Where are you voting on Z- Zadorov? Have you seen enough to sign him long term? Uh, still too early for me. I just worry, you know, we haven't seen him and Susie together in the same lineup. They committed to Susie last offseason. If you're committing to Zadorov, who, you know, kind of similar profile player, especially on the depth chart. Where does that leave you upgrading the right side? Well, but to me, that's kind of the point, is if you get Zadorov done here long-term extension, you know where you're at on the left side next year. You're Hughes, you're Zadorov, but and you're, and I, you're Susie. You know you're Hronik, and then you get about the business of adding that top four right-shot guy, which you may actually add or, or want to add or need to add by this year's deadline. Sure, but so far, neither Susi or Zadorov has proved that they are above a third-pairing guy. Okay. Definitively, I think they still have the potential to get there, but I would just be a little cautious about committing to Zadorov after long-term when you've already done that for Susi and they've both played better in a bottom left-side role. Le- to date, not saying they can't get there, but... I would just be cautious about that. Let me ask you both this. When Susie comes back, if Zadorov flips to the right side and proves worthy there, does that change the calculation for yeah. for you? In, in, in terms of what? If he can hold if down can hold the right down? side um, on either the second or third pair. I mean, the second would be a godsend. Yeah, again, but you're going to want to see sample size there. Again, yeah. same thing, though. So Susie okay, comes. Well, Susie's back in a month, right? Or less than. Less than, probably two to three. So you're probably going to get a chance to see him in as many as, what, 30, 35 games on the right oh, side. By the end of think, the season. If you think he can play the right side and you're willing to flip him over. Yeah. Because th- that decision is eventually coming here to talk it in foot. What I don't one love, of these lefties is going to have to play the right side, whether it's Susie Cole or Zadorov. What I don't healthy. love though is that they didn't sort of he didn't sort of speak glowingly about playing on the right side. Like is he going to be a happy Milstein. player on yeah. the right side? Well, he was only done doing it in Calgary out of necessity. Yeah. And is he going to want to sign t- for a team All that right. has designs on him on the right side? 
Now, you are losing Myers, and presumably they don't re-sign him. Right. So there will be some areas to kind of push them around on the back end. But, you know, my question is, you want to go big game hunting at some point for another right shot. Are you limiting your options on who you can bring in and if you sign the door off? Because you sign the door off. So you're talking about the cap space there, because PD and Ronick are going to eat up much of it, and then Zadorov would be another significant chunk. All fair. Yeah. From one Russian to another, Andre Kuzmenko has the look of a healthy scratch Tuesday in Nashville yet again. Rick Tockett saying he's just trying to win one game here and thinks this is the best lineup. Uh, Kuzmenko once again stapled Sunday in the third period to the bench against the Chicago Blackhawks with Vancouver protecting the lead. Philip Ronick back to power play one in the two defensemen look. Next question. Does a winger-for-winger trade with Andre Kuzmenko make sense, even if you have to add a sweetener to make sure you're getting a winger who can play with Pedersen? Um, yeah. Is he going to ever play Rick Tockett-style hockey enough to regain footing in that top six? Well, that's a good question. And, and you know, you, you wonder if they are starting to go down that route a little bit in their head and thinking that that's, that's something worthwhile. Would you, if the winger's a rental, would does that still work for you? Yes, it does. Absolutely works for me. In fact, that might be the... It, that's it, preferred. If we're, if we're to, talking to salary some money for salary... Because of next year and yeah. the, five, the $5 million commitment plus... As long the, as you're not holding back salary on, right. on Kuzmenko, then yeah, I'm starting okay. to get intrigued. Does that trade have to happen quickly before the asset's value is further diminished with healthy scratching? You wonder. You wonder. Um, but... You know, I, I do wonder if the damage has already been done to some degree there. Um, but not every team plays the way the Canucks play. Like, you look nope. at how, how few um, chances they get off the rush. Yeah. They're very much a dump-and-chase team under Talkett. There's a lot of teams that, that have issued that kind of hockey and want to play with pace and want to play more up and down. Like, Talkett plays a specific brand of hockey mm-hmm. that'll much like Brindamore plays a specific brand of hockey that doesn't necessarily have the same number of coaching disciples as it once did. So that's why I do wonder and believe that there are teams out there that look at Kuzmenko and think him a little closer to the 39 goal guy of last year than the guy who's getting scratched here in Vancouver. Yeah, I mean, I, I would love to see what the trade offers are. If you're going, if you're looking player for player, I would love to see what those are for Kuzmenko right now because I don't have a great handle on what that would be. I, I, I'm pessimistic on what that would be. I'd be pleasantly surprised if it's if it's mm-hmm. the alternative. I think teams are going to be wanting to pull one over on the Canucks and oh, of do course, of course they are, of course they are. But there's 31 other teams out there. The players under contract, so you look at it not just as of this year but a next-year proposition as well. So that brings in teams who, like, for example, the Ottawa Senators, the uh, Columbus Blue Jackets, uh, the Ducks and Sharks and Blackhawks, teams that are not that are already out of it this year mm-hmm. but are forecasting towards next year. Of the 31 should there not be at least a couple that look at him and go, yeah, that's a top six goal scoring winger and power play guy. We can find 
he's better than what we have, or we can find room in our top six for that guy. But I, I do think you're right, Blake. Some damage is already done. How much more damage is going to happen here between the head coach and the player before management decides we have to move on this file? And it's a funny thing to even Or say- can he be rehabilitated? I've, I'm still arguing. And I'm still arguing. Well, it's a funny thing to Rehabilitate, say. Rehabilitate. The damage is done, Matt. This is a guy that, I mean, we're... We're 30 games into the next season, and you're, and it feels like we're writing off a 39-goal campaign the year previous. That's why I say I still think there's value. I, 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 I can, uh, I can see it both ways. It's just we've seen every second of him play, and there's not been a lot of bright moments this season. No, and as Jeff points out, it's not just the lack of goals. He doesn't have an assist since November 15th. Yeah, not even an accidental off yeah. the ass. But assist. yet, Blake, we've seen in a couple of occasions the last couple of weeks where he's one-on-one on a, with a goaltender, and that's a sniper at work. Yeah. Like, that is a goal scorer's finish. His last couple of goals are nice. They're beautiful. And they were not They were within the last and, calendar and, week. You know, so at very worst... You've got a player that when he's one-on-one with a goalster in a great offensive opportunity, he finishes. You would think, though, somewhere along the line, considering how many puck touches that PP1 unit gets, he would have picked up a secondary helper. And now I know he was taken off for Horonic for a bit there, but still. Yeah, and the net like front just, guy doesn't tend to get the same number right. of touches as the others. He's just kind of hanging on the outside waiting right. to get that shot off. Right. Uh, Casey DeSmith for the Vancouver Canucks against Nashville. He's earned points in seven of his nine starts to date, including on Saturday against the Minnesota Wild, where he was pretty good. What's that? Well, you gave me a look. No, I just had an idea, but it's crazy. I'm like, I'm not going to voice it just yet. I'm nope, just going to nope, say nope. share with the I'm gonna, class. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to save. Going to save it. Going to save. It. Quote Rick Ball. Yeah. Okay. Uh, JT. Miller, now third in NHL scoring after a four-point night from Nathan McKinnon against the San Jose Sharks. His turn to fatten up against San Jose, both in action tonight. We'll see where that goes. McKinnon's on the terror. I I was going to say, it may well be we're we're done talking Art Ross for this year. It was fun while it lasted. (laughs) We still have Besser for Rocket Richard. We still have Quinn Hughes for leading scorer amongst defensemen. But it may well be that we're done talking Art Ross in a Vancouver Canucks context, but we'll see what Miller does tonight. McKinnon in action as well. How about uh, Red Kuz's story on Noah Jolson? Because uh, we were talking about him Monday as well. How about the quote from talking on Jolson? His decision-making has been night and day from where it was at the beginning of the year. His breakouts have been better. He listens. He's a sponge. Good for him. I mean, it sounds like this is a player who's made the transformation, going to play his 19th consecutive game for the Vancouver Canucks tonight and has done a very nice job on that third pair. The Vancouver Canucks, Jeff pointed this out as well, despite being 24th in the league in penalty killing at 76%, are second in the NHL in goals against average at 2.44. And yes, the goaltending has been remarkable with tons of saves, especially against the high danger chances. But that is quite a paradox to be that poor in penalty killing, and this is the third straight year where they have been that poor in penalty killing, and be that good in goals against. But speaking of accidental points, Noah Juleson has one point this season on a high-flying team. But you're not going to get on him about 
lack of production. He's your sixth defenseman, Blake. No, I I, I understand that. But they're if getting you, points from defense this year if for the first time in a, a long time. If you're going to we talked about how out. Myers is nearly a four a half point per game guy. Come on. But if he's going to be your permanent solution in the third pair, if that's the suggestion that he might be growing to be that, I mean, certainly one of these outlet passes has to result in a goal. No, no. no? You don't want no. I don't disagree. I don't disagree. I don't disagree that. How many four point defensemen do you okay. know in the NHL? Right. So I don't disagree that Noah Jolson or anybody who's playing regularly in the NHL should be tracking more than four points a season. But I also refuse to judge Noah Jolson on how many points he's putting up when you've got a team that is high scoring enough that they can be a zero on the third pair right side in terms of point production. My point. How many does Cole have? Uh, Cole's played a ton more minutes. How many How many points does Cole? Points. He's got four. Yeah. He's got a season So why don't you goal. shit on that? Well, that's four times as much. Oh, okay. Oh. You have to remember Grady, listen what to they this. are here, though. These guys are defensive defensemen yeah. who you don't want necessarily being involved <laughs> in no, your but offense. But there is, there is still... Uh, a curiosity there on how a high-flying team, yeah. like you, you don't just sacrifice help from behind when those guys are on the ice. Ronick and Hughes can only be on the ice so much. I mean, you look at Tyler Myers this season, the guy who had no points really to speak of for the last few seasons as the Vancouver Canuck, and he's doubling his pace. Why? Because this is a high-flying offensive team that you make a pass up the boards to, to player B – he gets to the player C, you get a goal. Like, it's happening to everybody else. You want your defenseman getting the puck up the ice as quick as you can into the forward's hands. A guy like Myers will hold on to it a little more mm. than Cole and Juleson. So I'm just, by that then, logic, I'm just surprised. But again, How you, many you, puck touches are before the goal is resulting? You only get two assists, right? So... But but, but the, everybody's judged on the same scale here, Grady. You're like you're talking like you're like this is a brand new sport. Like nobody has four point seasons in the NHL. Find me the guy. So there's something missing there that is a little bit concerning. Again, only concerning within this context. If you're going to make him an everyday player going forward, like if there is the contention, hey, sure. we've discovered a guy here. Well. If you're going to be trotting this guy out every every day, you'd hope he could contribute but, but on an Blake, offensive team. But Blake, as a fill-in, no problem. You're, you're, zero card, no, zero Blake, criticism. You've had so much trouble defending, and you're cap strapped. So he's making seven hundred and change. He's under contract for next year. Totally he's played fine. well this year. Yes, as a fill-in. As I said, it depends on the contract. I I just don't want to see this as Ma a we've Ma discovered a full-time third-pairing Ma defenseman. Matias Samuelson. In Buffalo, who got the big deal, right? Mm -hmm. Through to 2030 at 4-3. At he's playing more than 20 minutes a night. He's got four points this year. But he's playing He's playing the third most of any Buffalo defenseman because of his ability as a stopper. On a, on a terrible defensive team. I mean, they have no other options. So, well, I mean. Okay. It's, a, it's a terrible team just in general. So I, I, I'm just surprised that you're picking these nits. Every time I'm I talk, not picking it at all. Every time I talk, it's also the 24th ranked offensive team with Blake Price. He's talking to me about all the big blue chippers, the Banks and Bell and things like that. He's gone down to the penny stocks on this one. 
no. I, I I've said this. I've been I've been praising Jules up until this point as a great seventh defenseman. I think you just have to slow the roll hey, if you're elevating him beyond that. Fair enough. Yeah. No. That's if you fair. want to call him that. Fine. Uh, the other thing I'll say is your sixth defenseman is likely going to be rotated throughout the year anyways because of performance and, in some cases, injury. But I've got no trouble with Jolson as the third-pair defenseman. If he's playing like this, as far as I'm concerned, given where you're at cap-wise, that is sustainable to be an every-night regular. And if he's taking care of the D zone first, exactly. I'd rather have somebody else picking up those offensive points. That's correct. Just all right. Who would have been? You, the... you just have to be careful. Back to the old rule: because a guy is excelling in one role, don't elevate him to a new role. This is a seventh defenseman filling in for now while there's injury. Leave him as that guy. Yep. Who would have been the Juleson sure. equivalent? It's not like I'm sitting Susie when he gets back, or no. sitting Cole when he gets back. I fair enough on that. But healthy night, healthy opening night lineup next year. I don't think that should include Noah Juleson in an ideal not. world. That's all. But that also means the Vancouver Canucks have to go out and get two or three more defensemen given the UFAs or re-sign a couple of them. And yeah. he is signed for next season. That yeah. is true. Yeah. On a very cheap Hard. contract, which will come Ex- into Very handy. Here. You're quite right, Grady. Yes. See, I'm picking up what you're putting down on this. Our buddy Dave Hall of Canucks Army keeping an eager eye on these world junior entries. And, of course, the tournament starts next week, Boxing Day from Sweden. And Team Sweden is actually the fascination for the Vancouver Canucks and their fans this Van- year. Vancouver Canucks, yeah. What's that? The Team Sweden is the Vancouver Canucks. Okay. Yes. yes. Three different prospects, two of them first-rounders. And Hall reports Jonathan LeCaramacchi is on the top line. You re- may remember how difficult a tournament it was for Jonathan LeCaramacchi last year. But that was part of his just abysmal regular season across the board. And especially given there were a couple of players on Sweden's team last year that he had long chemistry with, like was a line mate with. Yeah. And yet still um, found himself stapled to the bench, not playing a whole lot, particularly when Sweden was defending a lead. Didn't, what, what, have, didn't earn the coach's trust. Wasn't until two months later in the playoffs, though, of course, of a season where he turned it around. It was reborn. Right. And he's, it's extended to this point. So he's back on the top line, and frankly, he should be as a 19-year-old now in this tournament with that sort of goal-scoring ability, the season he's having, the pedigree, and and all that. Tom Wielander, Vancouver Canucks first-round pick from the 2023 draft, is on the second pairing. And Elias Pettersson, D, EPD, is on the third pairing as a returning player, and look, he profiles more as a defensive defenseman. Perhaps Noah Juleson someday. <laughs> Perhaps a little better. I think they have higher hopes. Yeah. yeah. So uh, Patterson on the uh, and both those guys getting PK time in today's game. Well, too, yeah, so. I mean, absolutely, they should be getting PK time. So a uh, lot of. Excitement over in Sweden about this tournament, about this team. Of course, Sweden does nothing but win round-robin games and typically bows out before a gold medal uh, is put around their necks in the final game of the tournament. We'll see. Someday that'll change. Someday that'll change, you'd have to think. When will that be? On to football. And what a game. What a finish. What? 
Seattle 20, Philadelphia 17 on Monday Night Football from Lumen Field down the I-5. Drew Locke to Jackson Smith and Jigba in the final seconds to win. Uh, big win for the Seahawks with regards to the NFC playoff race. We'll get into that in a second. But I hope everybody caught the interview that Locke did with ESPN sideline reporter Lisa Salters. And I know sideline reporters in football have been in the news yes. this year for the standards or lack thereof. For the fake news, yes. But this was interviewing 101 from Salters. So Locke says to her, on the first answer, uh, or the second one, I'll remember that play call for the rest of my life. It's clear there's emotion there from a guy who's been mostly a backup quarterback and hasn't played a lot. She asks him about the emotion. He gives her a good answer. He continues to bear his heart, and she asks him again about the emotion. Now, first of all, he said there was a big, long story in terms of whether he was going to start that game or not. But he said he kept the mentality that he was going to play, found out when he arrived at the stadium that he once again was going to start for Geno Smith. And how about Geno and the support he gave him on the sidelines? Terrific scene there Despite as well. the fact that it came out later that Geno was not happy right. about being told he wasn't playing. Right. But he's a team guy. So Locke says it's so hard to describe the feeling of not playing for so long. You sit there and you watch games and you wonder, can I still do that? And then later goes on to say, yeah, I'm the man still. I can still do this. <laughs> and he talked about how the boys rallied around me tonight and gosh, it feels so good. Uh, it was just terrific television there with Drew Locke. Uh, DK Metcalf bails him out on that final drive, making an incredible catch and double coverage. I literally looked across the table at my son. I said, we were kind of watching it while we were eating, and I was like, was that a catch? Yeah. <laughs> said, yeah. Well, and, just and drops in between the two defenders. Here's the other thing, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, that they make the big trade for Leonard Williams, and really their defense doesn't get better from there. Part and parcel, I think, the insistence on playing Jamal Adams at safety. Yeah. Well, Leonard Williams came to play last night. I mean, that's the guy who looked so darn good with the New York Giants last year, who looked good in earlier in his career with the New York Jets. And then Julian Love with an amazing interception to close out the victory when Philly only needs a field goal to tie and send it to overtime. I, I do wonder, I, I, watching the game last night, look, if you come up against Dallas or San Francisco in the playoffs, I think that's that. But you look at the rest of the NFC. I'm not willing to give you Dallas. I'm not willing to give you Dallas. Okay. I mean, they're odds on, but I'm going to give them a 30% chance I against mean, Dallas. You know, they were they were competitive with competitive Dallas. Competitive against Dallas. Yeah. But, I mean, you're playing them there, too. Yep. Right? Yeah, for sure. But with the exception of San Francisco and maybe Dallas— if your defense can play that good, damn it, you got a chance against anybody else in the NFC. Like, I'm not scared of Detroit. Yeah. I'm not scared of some of the NFC South winner. I'm not scared of some of the wild cards there. If your defense can play that well, now I don't think you're winning the NFC. But could you get as far as the NFC championship game if everything breaks right for you? Yeah, you probably could. 
And that's a successful season. The, it's a particularly successful season given what you have or don't have at quarterback. It's to me, it's all about quarterback performance at this point. I, I th- <laughs> you know, the, the defense I, I think is capable of putting up a really good game. Yeah, I don't know that the quarterbacks are capable of pulling off a really good game. And if they, if, if that's the bigger question mark for so, me. What the quarterback has to do in the playoffs is take care of the football. You absolutely have to run it. Like, you have to have a strong running game. We saw this at the tail end of last year with Geno. When the running backs were hurt and the running game wasn't there, the offense was dead in the water. And that was a better game on the ground for the uh, for the um, Seahawks. Yep. Uh, 86 yards for Kenneth Walker is not the end of the world. Uh, well, on, on, in today's NFL, 86 is like the new 100. That's a good game. 19 carries, so like he's mm-hmm. four and a half. Yep. And then the 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 odd one to Charbonnet, he gets uh, four yards per carry as well. So, I mean, that's not yep. terrible. And that's your recipe. Win these ugly duckling games, play great defense. You got the fantastic punter who can flip field position. You feel good about your kicking game. So here's the thing. Philadelphia now fifth in the conference. Seattle is eighth. So the Seahawks in the first spot out of the playoffs now, behind the Rams and Minnesota. Now, the Rams are going to hold the divisional tiebreaker on the Seahawks. That's already set in stone. LA's went, has gone four and one against the division this year. Seattle, one and four. And that's what makes that second loss to the Rams so hurtful. Minnesota holds a conference tiebreaker on Seattle. Minnesota is six and three against the NFC. Seattle is six and five against the NFC. But here's the thing: Minnesota closes with three conference games, and we've talked about it. Home and away with Detroit, and home to Green Bay. Seattle's only conference game left and division game is Arizona. Now it's the final week of the season. So you on the road. things have to play things have to fall into place to make that a meaningful game for you in a tiebreaker vis-a-vis the Vikings. But with where Minnesota's quarterbacking situation is and the difficulty of their schedule, it is quite conceivable you could win a conference tiebreak over Minnesota. Three last place teams to finish off their schedule. Now, they're good last place teams in the case of like the Pittsburgh Steelers, who are a seven and seven team as well. Mm-hmm. But it's three teams, they're all last in right. their division. Like whereas some other teams in this big jumbled NFC seven and seven mix, you know, they got some meat on the bone. Yeah. And of course the other thing, and this is one of the reasons why I disagreed with you yesterday about uh, you know, playoff position or you know, lose out to get the best pick available and maybe solve quarterback. You know, one of these NFC South teams is going to win the division. Blake, there's still two wild cards available there with the expanded playoffs. Yeah. And, you know, I know the narrative in seasons past was, oh, you know, these wild card teams making the Super Bowl or winning the Super Bowl should, uh, should produce, you know, basically validates an expanded postseason field. I'm not actually sure the seven seeds this year are good teams, but hey, them's the rules. This is how they've decided to structure their postseason. So why not go ahead and get in there and see what can happen, particularly if you uh, 
if you happen to get some help in the bracket and somebody knocks off San Francisco. I'll say this about their chances. For everybody but 49ers, I really do believe it is in any given Sunday scenario right now in the NFC. Mm-hmm. I like There are odds, and I'm going to say that the Cowboys and Lions have better odds to mm-hmm. advance. But oh, would I be sure. would I be floored if either of those teams lost a first round game? Yeah, I wouldn't be. It'd be I'd only be floored if the 49ers and they get the bye. Yeah. But I'd only be floored even their first playoff game. I'd still be floored if they lost their first playoff game. Um, but the other teams, I I see they're they're fallible enough that I I'm, I wouldn't be floored. Yeah, I would be floored if they won in Dallas. But okay. Now, the other big news: Dallas the, lost it. No, I know. Arizona I know. this year? No, I know. I know. I know. I just think when Dallas is playing to its talent. Sure, of course. I think when Dallas is playing to its talent, frankly, I think Dallas is better than San Francisco. But, again, San Francisco is exceedingly well coached, have uh, terrific systems both sides of the ball. They're the cleanest, sort of best when it comes to execution and, and identity, frankly. Now, the other big news from the NFL yesterday, Monday, well, for us, if not league-wide, Nathan Rourke claimed on waivers by the New England Patriots. Once again, Jacksonville tried to sneak him back onto the practice squad, and the hoodie stepped up and said, no, no, no. Bailey Zappi completed 23 of 31 passes for 180 yards and a touchdown with an interception in the Lost to Kansas City on Sunday, and he fumbled the ball as well. So a couple of turnovers there. But for the most part, the chatter around the Patriots is, you know, Zappi's play has been decent. I'm not sure he gets an opportunity. But for a team playing out the string, maybe he should. I mean, New England's one of the few teams that's eliminated from playoff contention right now. Belichick, I think, is enough of a football guy to understand that what Rourke did in the Canadian Football League should not be discounted. It's the second best field football league in the world. And also, we all know the type of personality that Nathan Rourke is, the type of maturity. Something tells me that Belichick will gravitate towards that. that, Absolutely. Like, he is a pro's pro um, willing to toe the line for the team, team first, all that. The hoodie will love that. Do your job. And if you read any of the material on Belichick, and there's some terrific books out there about the Patriots and, and the hoodie. Do you love football? Nathan Rourke loves football about as much as anyone I yeah. think I've encountered. Yeah. Um, so far, and, and are you a serious professional? Golly. Has there been a more serious professional to come through the Lions camp? As Farron pointed out, the best case scenario that he sees it is the last game. Uh, maybe a start of the last yeah, game. Yeah, that's just probably be- fair. Just because, and, and not for no other reason than you do need to learn the offense. Yeah, and, and fair enough. And, and If there was five weeks left, I'd have higher hopes. But here's the thing, but- Blake. To me... This kid's got his playbook now, and if he's he'll pull it all night or if he needs to, to- for practice totally, tomorrow. Like totally, that, that's yeah. the sort of makeup of Nathan Rourke that I think is going to endear him. Yeah, to Belichick. The penultimate game, maybe, but I think the best yeah. hope is probably. Well, Boston. and I think it behooves the Patriots to see what you got there. Well, you don't make transactions for no right. reason. Like you know, Mac Jones is not going to be your guy going forward. Bailey Zappi's had opportunities in the last couple of years now, and he's probably not the guy either. So why not? 
here's what Nathan Rourke wrote, uh, wrote on social media with a picture of him in Jacksonville colors. I'm extremely grateful for the people that made this stop in Jacksonville so memorable. I've learned so much from great coaches, staff, and teammates, and I'm appreciative to the people of Jacksonville for welcoming Emily and I into your amazing community. Gosh, I'm so pulling for this kid. Uh, I, I am pulling for this kid as much as I've pulled for, you know, any CFLer to go down to the NFL and make a mark. Uh, speaking of the CFL, BC Lions getting some business done yesterday. They signed three defensive players, including a Canadian Football League veteran, defensive back Lawrence Woods third. He's played 21 games for the Hamilton Tiger Cats over the last couple of seasons, and you wonder if the Lions are doing this because they anticipate losing some defensive backs in free agency. Marcus Sales is a free agent. So are the two gentlemen who split time at field corner, Jalen Edwards Cooper and Mike Jones. They're all UFAs, so bring in an experienced defensive back on the uh, uh, in advance, which uh, allows you perhaps to negotiate a little bit differently or at the very least maintain some depth if you lose DBs in free agency. I was talking to Ryan Phillips in prior to the uh, West semifinal, and he was mentioning, you know, it's pretty universal now in the Canadian Football League across defensive coordinators that you've got to have experience in the secondary. It's such a, such a different game for DBs vis-a-vis uh, -vis the American 11-man game that if you commit to going young at defensive back, you are committing to a bunch of losses and big plays against until the guys get up to speed, and that's assuming that they get up to speed and are able to make There's a whole the lot transition. of space back there. Yeah, oh. I mean, you see, what I love watching is the field halfback on day one or two of training camp if he's a new American player. There is so much space. The it's receiver has, has a two-way go, yeah. run the in, run the out. You've got so much ground to cover. And, of course, you're also worried about guys getting behind you. Yeah. To play field halfback in the CFL, you got to be able to break on a dime. You've got to know a thing or two when you look in and see the formation. You better have watched your film a little bit because it's an easy place to look stupid. It'd be great to see you to uh, get a comparison. Um, you know, they, they wear those uh, sports bras now in soccer and in other sports to see how far you go, mm -hmm. usually in soccer. I'd love to see the difference between... <laughs> You know, a DB in the CFL and a DB in the NFL, how far they run in oh. a game. Like, what's the what's the well, tax even, that the Canadian guy gets? Even the, even the difference between the field half and the uh, boundary corner. Like, I'm not sure Dante Marsh ran five yards laterally in his whole career. Right. I mean, he yeah. was just stuck on that, on that uh, primary receiver to the boundary, and it was very much a mano a mano in, in closer quarters, whereas the field halfback is covering a – Hell of a lot of ground on the other side, albeit typically in fewer opportunities. All right. A few things we want to uh, bring you up to speed on here. First of all, it is the last chance, last day, to enter the Pastime Sports Contest for the two VIP autograph tickets to see former Vancouver Captain Marcus Naslin out at Pastime Sports in Langley on December 30th. The event starts at 1 p.m. So here you go. Last call, everybody. 
text hashtag NASLAND to 778-402-9680. We will pick a couple of winners at random and announce on tomorrow's show. This is front of line access to the event. You don't wait. You get up there. You say hi to Marcus. You get his autograph. Tickets available at pastimesports.ca. Last call, hashtag NASLAND. Nothing more. Just hashtag NASLAND to 778-402-9680. Also, wanted to let you know that the Dropping the Gloves podcast and show did an interview with Nikita Zadorov, Vancouver Canucks defenseman. That is going to be dropping soon here, so you're going to want to check that out, the Dropping the Gloves. It's out already. Oh, it's out already? Yeah. Oh, brilliant. YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Excellent. This is uh, with John Scott. Mm-hmm. Yep. A couple of big boys on that episode. All-star game uh, hero once upon a time. So looking forward to that. They played together their first year in Buffalo. Imagine having right. to go up against Scott and Zadora. Oh, my Yikes. God. And that was, was that still an era where you could see a fair amount of fisticuffs? Like if you were a young up and coming energy shift disturber. Nah, that's still Big new guy. Era. Did, did you get the courtesy of, did you, did you get to 20, challenge John Scott or 2013, 2014. So John Scott was amongst the, uh, the last of the kind, I think. <laughs> so dropping the gloves with Nikita Zadorov. Uh, lastly here, let's get part of the welcome out. Let's get to the menu. It's brought to you by our friends at Greta. Fantastic spot to catch the game throughout the season. A quick walk to the Rinker Stadium. Go to for food, drink, fun before and after the game. Pre, post, during, make it a game night at Greta, 50 West Cordova and Greta Bar.com. We'll talk to John Shannon, our Tuesday regular. Plenty of topics here. Patrick Galvin and the work that he has done. JT Miller and his ascension, whether this is the year to go for it. Zadorov, whether to re-sign Canada, an underdog at the World Juniors and changes in the broadcast world at Hockey Night in Canada. We'll also get some hashtags, the best and worst of Twitter, including NFL teams beating a path to UBC. Check out a couple of football players. Some good news for Adam Hadwin and uh, for a Canadian hoopster who is for a second year in a row turning heads. No matter what you're buying, folks, when you're out in the world looking for this, that, and the other, I think you want to support businesses that you feel good about supporting. You can feel good about supporting the Applewood Auto Group. Uh, They've made the car business and communities around them a whole lot better with their work in the community. Go and find out why it is indeed all good at Applewood. Visit them online anytime at applewood.ca. Let's get into it. I don't know if it was malicious. Probably not. But I do know it was another WTF moment. My question to ownership would be, was it worth it? And the architect... And I use that term loosely, given there wasn't much architecture, more finger painting with this team. It's like the running of the Bulls in Pamplona. You know someone is going to get hurt. That's what you all need to understand here, right now. Our friend Frank Saravelli of DailyFaceOff.com has recently argued that Canucks General Manager Patrick Alvin should win NHL Executive of the Year. I'm here to second that. Alvin swung another trade Friday, recouping a draft pick and a depth defenseman from 
From San Jose for forward Jack Stanika. Canucks shed a one-way contract, placated Stanika and his agent with a new NHL opportunity and added some change in their pocket to continue the trend of improvement on the margins. Well, it's true that Alvin has made some bolder moves, like trading for defenseman Philip Ronick, signing winger Ilya Mikheyev to a four-year deal in free agency. His best work has come on the periphery of the roster. And those players, big reason why the Canucks are 21-9-2 heading into Tuesday's play. The play of Vancouver's third line has floated the team's performance for more than a month now as the Stars have quieted down from their scorching starts. Center Teddy Bluger, winger Dakota Joshua, both low-cost free agent additions, have played key roles there. Sam Lafferty has been a utility club, filling roles on both the fourth line, at center even, and on the top line as one of Elias Pettersson's wingers. Backup goaltender Casey DeSmith, he's earned points in seven of his nine starts. Free agent defenseman Ian Cole and Carson Soucy, before he got hurt, helped the club's goal prevention and penalty killing. Vancouver's GM has made a league-high six trades since training camp, most notably shedding the salary of Anthony Beauvillier in a move to Chicago and then recouping a draft pick that was almost immediately turned into defenseman Nikita Zadorov in a same-week deal with the Flames. Then there's Connor Garland. You don't hear much about his trade request, if it's even still a thing, given the spade work he's done as part of that effective third line. He's playing some of his best hockey that we've seen here in Vancouver, even if the production isn't there. There is still some important work to be done for Alvin. He's got to decide how aggressive to get before the March 8th trade deadline, given the club's significant need for a right-shot top-four defenseman and a scoring winger to play with Petey. Beyond that, there are contract extensions required for Patterson and Philip Ronick, both restricted free agents, not to mention eight unrestricted free agents who either need to be re-signed or replacements found. But the early returns have been excellent, and Alvin should rightly take some bows. He made this club better by increasing its depth and improving around the edges. No small feat in a capped-out league where many GMs are making excuses for their inaction. It's welcome, Matt, for today. We invite your feedback. Feedback channels as follows on email, live at scarceandprice.com. You can text 778-402-9680, the Great Clips text message inbox, and the welcome, Matt, presentation of Great Clips. 37 salons in the Lower Mainland and Vancouver, all of them proudly Canadian-owned and operated. So Harrison Price from Wall Center, presentation Applewood Auto Group. Hashtags, the best and worst of Twitter.com, brought to you by VGH Millionaire Lottery. We're bigger than the trade deadline here because you... You have until midnight, Friday, December 22nd, to get in on 51 early bird draws in the VGH Millionaire Lottery. These early bird draws are worth more than $200,000. Win an Audi e-tron GT or a private jet experience that includes twenty grand in cash or $125,000 plus 50 winners will win $1,000. With your VGH Millionaire Lottery tickets, you get in to win one of the 10 grand prize options or you can take $2.7 million in tax-free cash. Don't forget to get your 50-50 plus tickets. Every ticket purchase, of course, supports VGH and UBC Hospital Foundation. You can get them in person. London Drugs online at MillionaireLottery.com. 19 plus to play. Know your limits. Play within it. And Blake, I uh, I came across a Shamari Williams 
He's a assistant coach with the UBC Thunderbirds, also their director of recruiting. We had more NFL teams visit our campus this season than a lot of NCAA Division I schools. At this U Sports program, if you're good enough, we will help them find you. These are their fine offensive tackles, Giovanni Manu and Theo Benedet. We had heard NFL teams were beating a path up to the Point Grey campus to yep. take a look at these guys. Well, the final total is in. 11 NFL teams, the Panthers, Vikings, Colts, Steelers, Bears, 49ers, Eagles, Giants, Cowboys, Saints, and Broncos all made in-person visits to watch these guys over the course of the season. Four CFL teams visited as well, including the BC Lions, which actually makes you wonder, what what are the other five doing? Or do they just think both these guys are such NFL players that they don't have a chance of securing their names on contracts. Anyways, it's going to be fun to watch the draft season and the combine season with these two guys because, as we've talked about, they are both behemoths, absolutely massive human beings. They pass the eye test. Manu is 6'8 and 350 pounds, for heaven's sakes, and moves pretty well for that size. And Benedet is a two-time winner of the Metris Trophy given to the best lineman in Canadian university football. Um, Merry Christmas to them, and I look forward to watching their journeys here in pro football starting next year. I, I, my understanding is that when somebody tell me that one of them had a contract offer from an NFL team actually put on the table, they didn't understand the draft eligibility, maybe thought that because it was in Canada, they were, yeah. or I don't know, what, what, what year, <laughs> how many years have these guys well, been? Well, so it, you... Is somebody in fifth? And, of course, both of these kids would have been COVID, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, so you have to be three years removed from your high school graduating class to apply for early entrance into the NFL draft. But my understanding is you have to apply for that entrance yeah. to the draft, go unselected before you can sign a contract. Right. There might be other rules around that that I'm not aware of. There might be an international loophole uh, there, or something that there may NFL well be thought they um, had, but but yeah, yeah, NFL teams are salivating over these guys. Yeah. So I mean, which is it's quite crazy. a thing like to have two guys at the same position at one school. Well done. I'm sure Blake knows now uh hastily trying to find Offensive lineman yeah, for next year. Fair chance UBC won't be as good at offensive tackle next yeah, year. Yeah. yeah. Uh, at, uh, no, I'll go to this one first. At Offside DH, Cassie Campbell Pascal leaving Hockey Night in Canada and Sportsnet. Um, Cassie Campbell Pascal joining the PWHL. Uh, what is odd to me is that it's as a special advisor, which usually sounds like a part time role, it sounds sort of like a peripheral role. But if she's stepping away from Sportsnet after, they're saying, nearly two decades on the job. Has it been that long? Wow. Um, Time flies. I mean, maybe that's just a holding title. Maybe she's about, maybe they're going to give her something more substantial in the future. But if you're leaving that job, I would want to be more than just a special advisor. Make me a VP, something. Yeah, there might be another shoe to drop yeah, there. Yeah, I wonder. At Sportsman Bro, the Masters already has the smallest field of the majors. The 2024 edition could be one of the smallest in years, depending on the first three months of the PGA Tour season. Here's the thing. Uh, there are no more significant tournaments the rest of the year that would get you in. So it looks as though 11 players who finish in the top 50 
are going to get into the field, and that includes Abbotsford's Adam Hadwin moving on in. There will be an additional automatic entrant via the Latin America Amateur Championship in January. Then you have 14 PGA Tour stops before the Masters. Need to win them? Yeah, so yeah. you win any of yeah. those and you're and you're in. But Blake, we're looking at 78 players right now. Plus, how many of those 14 winners are not going to already be yeah. qualified? Yeah. Probably just a handful. I mean, there's could be as many as 14, but probably just a handful. But that top 50 thing is that at the, the week before the I Masters? believe it's at the end. Of, uh, so April 7th is the cutoff for the top 50. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I believe there's a top 50 element by the end of this year that gets you in. Ah, hmm. So there's more opportunity. Like if a guy goes out and plays really well in the opening three months but doesn't win a tournament, crack the top 50, he could get in as well. Masters prefers fields of less than 100. They have not exceeded 100 since 1966. But it is very possible that you're looking at a field somewhere around 82, 83, somewhere in that range. Hmm. Unless you get a whole lot of guys winning the early stops on the PGA Tour 2024 that aren't already qualified. Some downranked guys. Yeah. They also reserve the right to uh, special invitations for international players. So I don't know if like a Lee Westwood or someone someone like that who's playing in the Live League, not in the top 50, but has credentials, has a resume – that would make the green jacket say, okay, you come too. Who's the big fella who was always nibbling around but never could break through? Um, God. Colin Montgomery. That's what I'm thinking. I don't think Monty no. is going to get a special exemption no. at this stage. No. <laughs> Probably not. No. He's a little elder statesman. Uh, at any revolution, introducing two-time MLS Cup winner and ninth head coach in club history, Caleb Porter, uh, the former Timbers coach, has found a new home. The former Carl Robinson antagonist. Foyle, yes. Um, he's found a new home in New England. Who's got a lot, they've got a lot of work to do there. But, uh, yeah, he's sort of uh, – the MLS is getting a little NHL-y with the uh, recycling wow. of coaches. And uh, he would be – he's an Elaine Vigneault kind of guy. You know, he's going to find his way into a job. But I'll say this. He's, uh, he's good copy. Yes, yes, he is. So let MLS coaches be good copy. Yeah. In fact, Vanny could use some rivals on the good copy scale in MLS. Lastly, from me, at Draft Express, Jonathan Giveney on the NBA Draft. Another impressive performance from National Player of the Year frontrunner Zach Eadie versus possibly the best front court he'll face all year. 22 points, 9 rebounds, 5 assists, and a win over Arizona on the weekend. That was number one Arizona against number four Purdue at the time. Given he writes, the projected first rounder made big plays rotating to protect the rim and stepping out on the perimeter. This is the seven foot four Canadian big man who is the reigning national player of the year in NCAA basketball. He went back for his senior season rather than declaring for the NBA draft. He looks thinner. He looks quicker. He's got more of a floor game and a perimeter game. Arizona has four seven-footers. They were thought to be the antidote for Edie with the number of big bodies they could rotate on him, a lot of fouls to use up there. 
not so. Purdue not only wins the game, they jump back to number one in the national rankings. Blake, he's second in the nation in scoring, eighth in rebounding, 12th in shot blocking. He makes 8.5 free throws on average per game. He goes to the line 11 and a half times per game, which is far and away the national leader. And he makes 75% of those free throws. It sounds like right now he made an exceptional decision to go back to school, work on his all-around game, and is going to get some of that first-round money, not to mention will likely be on the team when Canada plays in the Olympics in Paris next summer. Yeah, I mean, you got a little bit of a look at the world yeah. and the World Cup, and uh, I mean, I think it's appropriate. Well, he... Because he doesn't run the floor all that well, mm-hmm. he you can only use him in specific situations. You know, if you're up against a run and gun team, it's difficult. If you're up against a team that's going to dress a smaller lineup and try and dry him out to the perimeter on defense, that's a difficult situation. But you know, with the way he has looked this year, he's basically taking all his weaknesses and addressing them for both the Canadian coaching staff and for NBA scouts. Good on him. Uh, and finally, at WOGSPN, ESPN sources, Canada's decision to deny Hornets for Miles Bridges' entry into Canada is unlikely to be reser- reversed in time for him to arrive for tonight's game versus the Raptors. Bridges, who pled no contest to felony charge of injuring a child's parent, was denied border access on Sunday. Uh, Bridges has been like a 20-point-per-game, 8-rebound kind of guy since he came in to the uh, season late after serving the suspension. But um, it's one of those things that some people might say, oh, well, there's a, uh, you know, the, the border doing its work, and it is, absolutely. But uh, the NBA probably just views that as a hassle. You know, they probably don't see that as a, hey, Bridges, you know, that's just desserts for what you did. The, the NBA probably just sees this, eh, maybe this is why we shouldn't be in Canada. You know, this damn border in the way. I would certainly hope not. I think the moral of this story here is don't strike your spouse in front of your children. Well, you would hope. Seriously. You know, you honestly, like if you do that and Canadian Border Services says, no, not you, Yeah, I'm A-OK with that. I would hope the NBA and its commissioner is as I well. I would hope. That's hashtags for today. Harrison Price from All Center presentation Applewood Auto Group. Applewood Kia in Langley. Once you get ahead of the Canadian target, everybody's got to be in EVs by 2035. Why wait? How about 2024? Make that the year you go electric like the Nero EV financer from 6.49%. Applewood Kia and Langley. It's all good at Applewood. Poll question today. Have you seen enough from Nikita Zadorov to sign him long-term? Yes or no? You can vote at Sakarison Price on Twitter and YouTube. Joined now by the former executive producer of Hockey Night in Canada, the co-host of the Bob McCowan podcast, we welcome John Shannon back to Sakarison Price. Merry Christmas. How you doing? Yeah, Merry Christmas to you guys, too. It's a, I'm in Buffalo. Columbus is here tonight, and uh, I guess with winter. Mm. <laughs> As as you do in Buffalo, yeah. Well, has winter arrived in Buffalo today? It has. It and, yeah. and you know the stupid thing is that it's arrived in Buffalo. It hasn't arrived in Toronto yet. So it yeah, makes, it's funny. Yeah. 
That's uh, always the case, though. That's snow belt in Buffalo. And uh, we know the roster freeze goes into effect tonight. I do wonder whether the executive freeze is also in place for Yarmo Kekulain and, and Columbus as they continue to uh, struggle and without Patrick Line these days. But speaking of executives, John, uh, we were talking to Frank Cervelli a couple of weeks ago, and he was extolling the virtues of Patrick Alvin, who has since made yet another trade. He leads the league in trades this year. And the job that he's done uh, working around the tough circumstances of cap tightness and everything that challenged about this Vancouver Canucks job. A word or two about him. Is he your executive of the year to this point in the season? Well, I, I get he's certainly a candidate. Um, but then you have to also look at uh, what Rob Blake has done in Los Angeles. Uh, you, you know, I, I, and, and the amazing job that Kelly McCrimmon continues to in Vegas, maybe we should just have a Pacific division executive of the year. Uh, when you think about what all three guys have, have done all with, uh, uh, cap issues all the time as every manager does. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they're, and they've done it differently in Vancouver in, in so many ways, as you talked about not being afraid to wheel and deal. Uh, finding ways that uh, have taken a couple of the guys that, well, they haven't asked for trades. They have been given permission to search. And next thing you know, you know, Connor Garland is happy in Vancouver, playing better in Vancouver, getting ice time in Vancouver. Uh, all the discussion about uh, Tyler Myers all summer long, and, and he's playing better and being, you know, a contributing factor to, to the success on the Canucks blue line. So, I, I mean, it's Certainly, Patrick Alvin has to be given some credit for the success of what the uh, what the Canucks have done, and maybe per, maybe perhaps guys in, in the end, um, it, it 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 might be different in Vancouver now. But you know, there's still people around the league saying, "Who the heck is Patrick Alvin?" You know, and I think that's part of the um, that's part of the storyline too. Is that here's this guy with a low profile doing all this work, and you can see the results on the ice. He's been helped by a healthy roster, though, too, right? I mean, and, and yep. you don't apologize for that, but uh, the Canucks have have done well to to remain healthy amongst the core players. They've had to deal with some per peripheral uh, injuries, uh, Suter and uh, a little bit of Bluger, and, and certainly Susie, obviously. But they haven't had to miss the core guys, and that's uh, been a huge boost to this team. Well, and at the top of the core is, you know, a healthy, uh, healthy Thatcher Demko, yeah. um, and. Let's face it, if, if we're giving out awards, if we're extolling virtue, uh, then Thatcher Demko's in the Vezina conversation quickly. I'm not one to give out awards before Christmas, but it's, uh, he's one of those guys that when you look at the, the overall picture of what's going on in Vancouver, Demko's got to be, in my mind, and along with Quinn Hughes, the two key stories for the team. Well, not, yeah. not only healthy, but like working a lot well <laughs> yeah lot. And, and obviously um you know the, the more we talk about the star power on this team i think the more we have to talk about jt miller mm. and, and the season that he is having because you know like two more points on and he's getting those quiet points john he's hanging there in the scoring race with the uh, mckinnon and kucherov and you know you, you you take a look back at his career arc he was really at a crossroads when he came here to Vancouver, given up by a second organization coming off 13 goals 
in Tampa, work ethic issues in New York that Alain Vigneault uh, got after him about. And he said it was a wake-up call. He knew he had to change. He knew he had to change things. And I mean, he's an all-time Vancouver Canuck when you look at points per game. You know, I was talking to somebody in the Ranger organization yesterday about Miller, and uh, in their heart, they actually lamented the fact that he he, he was a throw-in, a throw-in on in the Ryan McDonough trade. Um, it was and the amount of the bodies the Rangers got back. It was all about balancing dollars at that point. Um, and, and you're right. Al Arino did get mad at him all the time. He used to get mad at him when he, when, when Miller would come back to the bench frustrated and break his stick and he'd get mad at him for breaking his stick. Uh, it, it, he was, he's one of those guys that you have to respect and understand his competitive nature, that he's so competitive, wants to do things so well and, and just try to be a winner at all costs that sometimes it sounds and looks like he's being selfish. And, and he really isn't. He's trying to be the ultimate winner. Um, and I do think that uh, his time in Vancouver has softened a little bit of the external vibration that he's created all the time. Uh, but at the same time, it hasn't softened in his prolific nature of being a great goal scorer, a great passer, and in my mind, a pretty damn good teammate. And I think that's those are three good attributes for him and why he's been so successful in Vancouver. And dare I say, remember the conversations two years ago when everybody thought that JT Miller was going to be the guy traded at the deadline. And people kept saying, well, why would you trade him? He's pretty damn good. He's a good player. And in the end, you know, Rutherford and Alvin recognized that and he got signed to the long-term deal. Well, and a couple other things. Number one, Harmon Dahl of the Athletic has a, a story out where, um, he tells the anecdote of Miller actually successfully lobbying Bruce Boudreaux to go back on the power, uh, back on the penalty kill unit last year. <laughs> like Boudreaux was all set to take him off. They were really struggling and JT's competitiveness and pride just wouldn't allow it. And he went into coach's office and talked his way back onto that unit. And you look at their power play this year, John, I think a lot of it can be int- attributed to the fact that Miller is just so good, so smart on that half wall and understanding where the puck needs to go because they're less static this year. There's a lot more movement on the power play, and I think part and parcel of Brock Besser's great season is JT Miller uh, at even strength and on the power play, understanding when and where he needs the puck. I fully suspect that Besser has watched a lot of JT Miller, and the one thing you can say about Miller, he's never afraid to shoot. You know, that's always been part of his DNA. Um, and there are probably times in, in Bester's time that he hasn't shot enough, and that's certainly not the issue this year. He loves to be rolling downhill. He loves that moment. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, and, and you know what? It's a good luck for them. We, we kind of drew this comparison when Horvat got traded to Matt Duchesne leaving Colorado, and it's looking more and more true in that, you know, Horvat's doing just fine with the Islanders. He's, he's having a very nice start to the season here. Um, it's not to say that they got rid of a player that they thought was necessarily falling off a cliff, but you had to make a choice. And I think many people, probably myself included, would have said if you had to lose anybody on this team that we had sort of come to know as part of the core, you, you know, everybody would have elected Besser. Um, in the end, um, whether it was by circumstance or by choice, it's Horvat that leaves, Besser stays, Besser's leading the league in goals. Like, you know, that choice of who to 
sacrifice for the greater good of the roster that you know the Canucks have well, again whether it's luck or whether that was actually by design only they know um but that's worked out for them well it's also about dollars Blake I mean when you well, look that's at why the they had to make the deal yeah right it, it, but in the end they knew what it was going to take to keep Horvat for eight years look at the contract <laughs> look at the contract that he signed in uh in Long Island. And wasn't it Lou Lamorella that said it was too much and too long? Yes. <laughs> so, so Jimmy Rutherford had the opportunity and, and Patrick Alvin had the opportunity to move him. Uh, Besser was not never going to cost as much as Horvat. Never, he was never going to get the term that Horvat um, thought he deserved. So it, you know, at a certain point, common sense prevails and, and you're, you're right. It, it has proved to be a, a pretty good move. Uh, despite the fact that uh, the return for Horvat uh, has not really worked out perfectly for the Canucks. What, um, what do you think they should do? What do you think they can do with regards to Nikita Zadorov and re-signing him? Uh, unrestricted free agent to be, needless to say, is going to have some suitors in free agency if he gets there. He's a specific profile of defensemen, and they're very difficult to come across, somebody with that kind of size and yet that kind of mobility and pretty good with the puck. Um, would you go about trying to lock him up here between now and the deadline, John? Would you take a more patient approach? And what do you think you would do in terms of uh, how many years you'd be willing to go to on Zadorov? You know, that, I, 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 I'm almost suggesting it's too early, Matt. I, I still think it's too early. I'd like to have Rick Tockett have 25 games with him to say, what do you think of this guy? Does he help us? What kind of asset? You know, hockey teams get blinded by size a lot of times. Uh, and this guy is, he's a brute. He, he, he's massive. Um, but does he fill a void uh, on the blue line? Does he do what Rick and Adam Foote want him to do on the blue line? I, I As much as I know that everybody always just trying to be proactive and saying, we got to do this. We got to do worry about the long-term. I I think that there are times where you have to take your time on that decision and say, okay, does he really help us in the long-term? Is he what we want? And you really only know that when you're in the room with him, you really only know that when you're on the bench with him and and when he's on the ice. Uh, And I might suggest it's just a little too early to figure out what to do with Sidorov yet. It's a tightrope walk, though, isn't it, John? Because the longer you wait, for the reasons you just uh, outlined, and very good reasons, the longer you wait, the the bigger sample size you get to make a more educated decision, the closer that player is to actual unrestricted free agency. That player might just think, or we just wait five more weeks and everybody Mm -hmm. gets to bid. Yeah, no, that's fair. But it also, what that puts into focus, guys, is the role of pro scouting. Mm-hmm. You know, and and our, our teams out there every day, you know, making sure that they've watched these players enough, uh, understand the players, being on the road, watching, not just doing video, but, you know, the eyeball test. How many times were Canuck scouts in the saddle dome watching Zadorov do what he does? Because over the years, and both of you have seen this, a lot of guys get traded because they were good against that very team. Yes. People say, people say, boy, like I remember Cliff Fletcher traded for Rick Walmsley because every time, every time uh, Rick Walmsley played the Calgary Flames, he was brilliant. 
So you trade for him. Um, not to say that Wammer wasn't good in Calgary, but it, it's just one of those things that every once in a while people say, well, he's always good against us. He must be a good player. And that's not necessarily the case. You need a sample size that you can deal with. And that's what the pro scouts have to do before the acquisition of the player. And then before you decide to make a long-term commitment to him. Do you, um, we've had this debate uh, this week and uh, what, uh, five wins in the last six will sort of do that to you. But you take you um you, you take a look at uh where the west is now. Obviously you've already mentioned the Kings and the Vegas Golden Knights, two pretty good teams, not to mention that Colorado team on the other side's pretty good and we'll see Dallas on Thursday albeit without Jake Ottinger. By but the way, you, don't, don't you better add Winnipeg. Oh, really? Am I okay? Am I going to hear about Winnipeg. it from the uh, Happy Haligonian? Uh, we've talked about the amazing job that has been done there in Winnipeg given where they were at, given that the head coach had to take leave of the team. So, yes, well done, Winnipeg Jets. Um, now it's time for the Sadie to step up and buy some tickets. Blake and I were both talking about that yesterday wow. as well. Um, true. But, and now bonus can call Jacques Martin, the old guy, by the way. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's true, yeah. huh? Yeah. Well, yes, of course, uh, both of them have history with that. Yes, <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Uh, Jacques got the better of it. Rick, Poor Rick uh, inherited the expansion file there. Uh, but... Um, Pedersen and Ronick are going to cost them more money next year. The Oliver ekman Larson yep. buyout is not as favorable next year as it is this year, not to mention all these UFAs that they either have to resign or find replacements to. It's clear they need a top four right shot defenseman. It's clear they need another winger to play with Elias Pedersen. How aggressive do you anticipate Rutherford and Alvin will get between now and the trade deadline? Looking at not just this team and the position that it's put itself in, and a lot of GMs now talk about how, hey, the room earned this opportunity. I went out and did this because the guys down there earned it. Not only looking at this year, but also looking at the future and what's to come here in terms of cap uh, cap uh, pain. Yeah, and I and I think that's probably the conversation in the office too, is to say, okay, are, are, are we, I mean, how serious are we to go deep into the playoffs? Uh, and then are we going to be able to shed enough money in the off season and replace that money to, in order to, uh, to be competitive next year and still enhance what guys like Pedersen need to do in order to play. I, it's, it's a real dilemma. It's, and it's not only Vancouver in that dilemma. I think there are probably 12 or 13 teams thinking that way. Um, so, so I, I don't know if there is a simple answer to it, Matt. I, I really don't. I, I would tell you that there's a real belief, and it's it's similar to Major League Baseball now, uh, that you go to free agency and you find interchangeable parts uh, for your bullpen. You find interchangeable parts as that fifth starter in, in the in the rotation, um, and then you spend all your money trying to find guys that can hit the ball out of the park. Um, so you know the the answer is I quite frankly is I'm not sure because you're on a roll. You're playing well. You have recaptured the market. They are in love with this hockey team again. Um, so you don't want to waste that. You don't want to waste that affection of this, this really hardcore fan base. But at the same time, you do have to look down the, down the stretch. You do have to look to next year. And I don't know if there's a simple answer. These guys have a list of free agents they can deal with after July 1st. Um, but then that's the challenge of... You know, you have to create space between now and whether it's the trade deadline or the end of the season in order to be competitive with the free agent world. So I'm not sure there's a simple answer to that. My, my thinking is, is that they will stay the course 
until the summer and then try to retool after July the 1st. Uh, on the TV side of things, um, we see that there's a change in, on hockey night in, Can uh, in Canada. Uh, talk about Cassie Campbell Pascal and uh, mm -hmm. her moving on to to different pastures. Uh, well, we hope they're greener. We hope the league does well. But uh, that, that was uh, an interesting decision for her. Yeah, and it's um, I don't know whether it's a lifestyle one. I I I sent Cassie a note this morning, wishing her the best, but I haven't got anything back yet. I'm sure she's a little busier with her new job. Um, but you know, she was traveling every week to Toronto to do Monday night hockey. Uh, she was still doing some ESPN work um, in the United States. Uh, so this one to me, I think probably speaks to her passion for helping the, the women's game grow and for being part of the success of the women's game. They're going to need a lot of help and they're going to need some big voices. And she, she certainly is a big voice, someone who understands what it takes on so many different levels. And I certainly hope that they give her the leeway to, to be uh, active in helping this league grow. Uh, and I, I think they're going to miss her on television. I mean, she was the first woman to be a, uh, a color person on, on hockey night. And she's always been a bit of a trailblazer. And hopefully she's part of a trailblazing league to help the women's game grow. Lastly, for me, because this is our last hit, Mr. Shannon, until uh, 2024. I, yeah, I, hey. Just Christmas Boxing Day falls on a Tuesday this year. And then uh, same goes the next week after the New Year's. But are you ready for a World Junior Championship where Canada is the third choice? Is it? Well, yeah. I mean, everybody keeps telling me how great Sweden and the USA are. Well, what do you think of this spot for Canada? Royal Commission. And royal do you commission. think we are marching towards a royal commission about our lack of goaltending? Our lack of goaltending, for sure, not just at the junior level, but how about everywhere? Uh, that's that's that thank has God been for a story. Aiden Hill, John. If it wasn't for Aiden Hill, I'm not sure we could even put a starting goaltender in the Our starting goaltender for the Four Nations Cup. That's right. <laughs> Whatever we're going to call it. Well, that's as good a name as ever. Just steal that one from the women. You know why not? Yeah, it, it, it works. It's probably where the idea came from, anyway. So let's let's just run with it. Um, you know, the American. I I'm I'm not sure about the Swedes, but I'll tell you what: the Americans are really good, and the and they should be the favorite. Um, the only solace every Canadian can take is is that you know it's tough to be the leader. Everybody's been following us for a long period of time, um, and uh, I'm glad that everybody outside of Canada loves our game too. <laughs> And they didn't even take the yeah. leading scorer in the OHL. Yeah. Well, uh, he, he, here's what I know. Um, there is a lot of material for that Canadian coaching staff to message with these boys in the dressing room. Yeah. Like, you know, you tell Macklin celebrate, Oh, by the way, Mac, they think you're going to win bronze this year. So, well, and I, I tell think you what, adding Quattro from Boston is a big ad. That's yeah, true. And, he, and, and, and by the time they get to the middle round, he will be a huge contributor to the success of the team. Yeah. Great stuff, John. Thank you for everything in 2023, my friend. Uh, Merry Christmas to you and yours. Happy New Year. And we'll catch back up in 2024. Thanks, John. And Merry Christmas to everybody. Hope everybody has a great time over the holidays. And uh, don't eat too much, don't drink too much, but still have a lot of fun. Too late. That's all the fun. <laughs> <laughs>
Sick Harrison Price from Wall Center. Presentation, Applewood Auto Group. You can text us, 778-402-9680. It's the Great Clips text message inbox. Great Clips. It's going to be great. So we mentioned last week that the Whitecaps were staring at a early February game. I guess the In newly Mexican right. champs, Tigris. Tigris. And we had mentioned that it looked like the Caps were going to have to play this early February game at BC Place because if you look at the MLS sides that are involved in Champions League, it's a lot of cold, wintry environments and not exactly great places to host soccer matches in the first week yeah. of February. And going to their uh, little Christmas reception last week, uh, Vanny had mentioned perhaps as soon as February 3rd uh, at BC Place. Well, there was a little complication with regards to the booking of BC Place Stadium. Well, BC Place got some notable bookings in February, and and there were some reporters that, that were already forecasting this problem. International Boat Show going until February the 4th. Mm. BC Home and Garden Show, Feb 8th to 11th. Yeah. And then later in the uh, month, uh, the 7th, of course, is arriving as well. But right. um, they want it early. And it turns out they couldn't make it work. <laughs> Garden Show takes a long time to set up. Yeah. Lots of, and the boat show does too. Yeah. So there was probably a one day window there, and that mm-hmm. wasn't the day they wanted to use. Tigers refusing to swap dates with the Whitecaps that would have maybe put it, you know, in the teens and allowed them to play mm-hmm. then. So we kind of giggled at Cavalry, the CPL team who's earned a spot in Champions Cup, having to go to Langford Starlight Stadium to play its first round Champions Cup match. Well, guess who else is going? <laughs> the Whitecaps are on their way to Lankford, British Columbia for round one against Mexican Giants Tigris. God, given that Tigris refused to swap dates and make this easy, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. On February, what's the date? 7th. And it is elevated. Like Lankford's up the hill a bit. It's it's, halfway up Bear Mountain. It gets frosty Mm -hmm. up there. Let them freeze their cojones off. I mean, I see a lot of vitriol going, this is why the Whitecaps need their own facility. And if they had a soccer-specific stadium sure. or even a soccer-slash-football, like a BMO, um, right. it probably would be avoided because you're not doing a boat show there. Uh, again. Or a garden it, show. It's North America. We play plenty of sports. Soccer is just one of them. If there's any public investment in a facility, it has to be multi-use. If Greg Kerfoot wants to cut a check and build his own stadium, so be it. Yeah. But – those are expensive propositions. And, and, and frankly, nobody complains about BC Place when there's 30,000 in there for a playoff game. It's nope. an awesome environment. Yeah. I, I, nobody I, complains about BC Place Stadium when it's pouring rain or snowing outside and you can go inside and not freeze your tuchus off. And in that regard, I am kind of a little bit surprised Tigers didn't want to swap dates because... Mm-hmm. These are going to be pretty, even if it's not 
snowing, Matt. Even if it's eight degrees in rain, that's not their usual stuff. Mm-hmm. Like you know, so it's it's going to be interesting. Um, and uh, also MLS Super Draft Day for the Whitecaps, but no first round. No picks. first rounder. Yes, uh, yeah. I think Colorado's got four. I know or five Axel picks. and the team were going over candidates. Uh, Vanny said, "Well." We don't have a first-round pick. Our first pick is, is in the 40s or something. Yeah, yeah. So who knows what will be there for the Caps. Errors and omissions from yesterday's program and beyond. Ooh, big list today. Uh, you accidentally called him Mikhail McCarr yesterday. Mikhail? Yes. No, I didn't. Yes, he did. No. Yeah. It might sure have sounded did. like that, but I'm, he's not sure? Russian. I'm not calling him Mikhail McCarr. Say, does he play power forward for the Celtics? Yeah. Um, Vin Scully retired at age 88. Curtis Rourke, Nathan's brother at Indiana University, will play on the West Coast next year. They're playing at UCLA. September. And for me, Nick Mullins is the fourth quarterback the Vikings have used this year, but the fifth guy to throw a pass because Justin Jefferson, their fine wide receiver, threw one on the season as well. And Grady, you got one to self-report here? Yeah, I had the date wrong on yesterday's show tweet. Mm. It was December 18th, but if you looked at the tweet, it said December 15th. I didn't change the date. Mm. Nobody caught me, though. Oh, so very I'm conscientious. Very conscientious. Can't be perfect you. all the time. You could have just Honesty hid, a, but you didn't. No. You stepped up. Out in front of it. I was told early in my broadcasting career, when you make a mistake, you mm. get out in front of it. You How about just life? How Corrections just life? are a sign of yeah. strength, not weakness. Yeah. Yes. Correct. Yeah. Poll question from Monday. Given acquisition cost, which addition has been the best of the Rutherford Alvin era? Ronick, Joshua, Kuzmenko, other, what won the poll? I think Kuzmenko won. No, Ronick. Really? 61%. Kuzmenko, 21%. Joshua, 16%. There were some in the comments going, how is Ronick running away with this? Given the, the phrase, co- given acquisition yeah, costs. Yeah, I think people missed it. Random scrub. Given acquisition costs, Kuzmenko scored 39 goals last season. The cost was a dinner better than Joey's. <laughs> yeah. Of course, there was no acquisition cost on Joshua either. It was just yeah. cash. Canadian hustler. Ronick makes the most significant impact. Where would the team be without him in the lineup? That's the question you should ask yourself for all three players. Well, that's one of the questions you should ask yourself. The other should be, what did it cost us to get the guy? Thus, it's inclusion in the phrasing. Wow. Article. Yeah. RNLD says Lafferty, just to bug the Leafs on what they lost. <laughs> and Sarah says, and she was many, uh, she was one of many who wrote in Casey DeSmith. So far, he's been worth the third rounder, and they cleared Pearson's salary, too. Indeed, they did. All right, time for Betway Bets of the Day. Big one in the NFC wildcard race Thursday, and for the New Orleans Saints in the NFC South title race as well. New Orleans at the Rams. Saints nursing some injuries at key positions. Rams with a big QB advantage here. I'm going to lay the four points with L.A. I'm going to take the four. And go Saints. Ah. They, they know the gravitas here. Uh, well, I, for both teams, two seven and seven teams yeah, here. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And as we talked about in the opening, you know, this is a game that is absolutely going to have the eyeballs of the Seahawks and their fans on it. And let, let's hope it has the same drama because as we talked about, mm-hmm. finally a a great primetime game. 
Uh, finally, there's been a couple, but um, I mean, it was a little lower scoring. But yeah, it was a hard hitting, good spectacular football. Finish. Yeah, exactly. So, so maybe these two can do the same. On your Betway bets of the day, must be 19 plus to play. Please play responsibly. Thanks for listening, everybody. A reminder: subscribe to us, Rinkwide and Canucks Conversation, wherever you get your podcast. Follow on social: that's Twitter, Insta, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube. And of course, support the community sponsors you hear us talking about. Keep it local.